Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к предверию нашей надежды. Да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которые очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови забета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество – все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего, пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым, позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, виде Его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться.
Сердце, 
If you have your Bibles, please open up with me a place of Scripture that contains the depths of God's blessings, a blessing that is for our spirit, soul, and body, and that we are called to get to know so that God can receive the basis He needs to redeem us from the power of hell and death here on earth. Matthew 5:45 and 48, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called, Called to Perfection the perfection of our Heavenly Father. That is, be perfect as our Heavenly Father perfect. And if a regular religious individual may thinks about these things, he will become afraid. It's, he perfectly understands that this is not possible and continuously sees himself as a sinner and prays to God, Lord, forgive, forgive, forgive. He can't truly ever raise his head to God and his face to God and say, Lord, thank you that you have justified me and made you made me similar or in your likeness. This promise contained in the commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all generations and this commandment of Christ is addressed specifically 
to his students. Therefore, people who do not accept God's delegated authority over themselves have no part in the inheritance that is contained in this commandment and are not able to have it. Relevant to fulfilling this required commandment, we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man, specifically the goals that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue. And in part, we have been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart, received by us in the two broken tablets, in which we die by the law for the law, to live for the one that died and resurrected, and by doing so receive confirmation of our salvation in the new tablets of the covenant in the format of the law of the Spirit of life, so that we provide God a basis to give us the promise to be heirs of peace not by the past law, but by the righteousness of faith like he gave it, gave it to Abraham and his seed. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And so when God gave this promise, he said, I vow that this will happen, which means he has vowed to make this happen, Romans 4.13. We need to know that the righteousness of faith is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, which is presented in the preached word of God sent, together with the person who represents the fatherhood of God to us and is our head. The faith of God is information that comes from the word of God. Faith is from hearing the word of God, not reading, but hearing it. It is necessary for someone to say this, and this someone needs to be an anointed person sent by God, and we perfectly understand that there is a big difference between anointing in general. We're talking about a worshiper of God, a warrior in prayer, a warrior in prayer, a person worshiping in spirit and in truth is always anointed, but one that is anointed is not always a warrior in prayer, because anointing is authority that is given to a person on earth, and this anointing is all human authority uh, that is on earth. All authority is anointed by God, authority on earth. But all these people that are anointed by God to implement order on earth contain this order. They are not warriors in prayer. And so people who focus upon anointing need to understand that a warrior in prayer, a worshiper of God, worshiping in spirit and in truth is always anointed. But an anointed person is not always a worshiper of God. Saul was a person who was anointed, but he was not a warrior in prayer, and he was not a worshiper of God. David was anointed by God and was a warrior in prayer. Considering that he was a warrior in prayer, he was always anointed by God. There is a difference, again, between these forms of anointing. We need to always understand that because today there are a lot of people that focus upon anointing, especially false charismatic uh, congregations. They focus so much upon anointing and authority given. If this anointing and authority is not, uh, it does not correspond with a warrior in prayer, a warrior in prayer is a person who is a student who accepts God's authority over himself, the person who God, whom God has placed. Not all pastors, of course, are fathers. 
they are water. They, those, they're the ones who water. They water the plant. But those who's a pastor that has the word, the seed of the word to plant, he is the one that can be a father. God gives to him the seed and he does not go to the internet internet and looks and he doesn't look uh, look at the words of the emissaries of Satan uh, to be able to take something from there uh, so that he can then present it as his own and make it sound original these people do not want to have a person over themselves in their churches, their pastorship churches, they don't accept God's authority over uh, themselves because they don't consider that amongst each other. They don't respect each other in that that way. They consider they're all equal and they consider themselves to be uh, rabbinates. Uh, but they absolutely are not. And this form of uh, democratic uh, service or if you look at what the communists uh, said about de uh, Democrats or the democratic way of rule is dictatorship the dictatorship of, of the democratic form of rule people truly think that yeah what is good for these Democrats, they will push through by people. But those who those things that are not good for them, they will not push through. The tolerant uh, sects uh, in uh, Europe, uh, they were uh, they were uh, uh, protesting in the streets. One even lit, lit himself on fire just to show that he was in disagreement with their. Uh, with their rules and so the time comes that if you will not understand the way they think if you won't think the way they think and this uh, uh, this small group will be uh, pressuring the larger group those who don't understand this way forcing their ideas on them these emissaries of Satan again you have to remember they have supernatural ability to rebuke demons heal the sick and do a lot of things but this is not God's healing and demons are not actually leaving that person every person who is prayed for with by these people becomes possessed outwardly because the one that's praying over them is already possessed outwardly the devil's deceiving them because if you check who they are, where they came from, how they behave, it does not correspond to the words of Scripture. And so the promise of peace of God is given only to those men that are obedient to the order of God in accordance to which God sends us his word by the mouth of his delegated people. Therefore, the covenant of peace within the heart of a man is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God which are the spoken words of God's delegated ones. Our faith is obedience to the words of God. And as the words of God is the faith of God, it then happens that our faith is obedient to God's faith. We are obedient to the words of God that he speaks by the mouth of his delegated ones. If we read ourselves, we will interpret the word incorrectly. We need for God to give uh, for God to give us these big gifts so they interpret the, the truth accurately. 
and we will then hear and receive that faith to examine a person as to whether he truly is sent by God to present to us his word is to be done by the power of delegation within the implemented by God order and by the existing within our heart anointing to identify the voice of God in the mouth of that person who is supposed to represent the fatherhood of God to us. Apostle John writes, 1 John 2, 18 through 26, Little children, it is the last hour. When we say, when he says little children, he says that I am a father. I have the anointing of a father. I have the word, the seed. I am the, re the reader. In his revelation, when he writes, he says, Blessed is the reader as one person who is reading, and those who fulfill it, that's those people who will hear what he will say, blessed is the reader and those who fulfill the words of this prophecy. Little children, it is the last hour. Two thousand years ago, he, the church just began to exist. He said that this was the beginning of the last time. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, the word anti is against Christ, a hater of Christ. Even now many Antichrists have come. And then already there were many Antichrists, by which we know that it is the last hour. And we always say, attention, where? Did these antichrists come from? How do you determine that this is an antichrist? They went out from us. They didn't come from the world. They came out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all these things. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. By the means of the righteousness of faith, the covenant of peace demonstrated in the inheritance of peace is called to abide and be within the heart of a man evidence of the fact that we are children of God. Therefore, the inheritance of peace present in the covenant of peace is actually the treasury of our hope in God, containing the complex of all of the promises of God that when accomplished is the goal of the given to us righteousness. Because when we believe, and begin to confess the not existent as existent, then with this righteousness, because God calls this righteousness, we begin to accomplish or or, or bring about these these promises. We allow we give God that basis to accomplish what He's promised. Therefore, it is righteousness by the means of the peace of God, containing the covenant of peace that can and is called to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Being in Jesus Christ, we are not dependent from the power of sin and we are protected from the power of sin and death be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus Philippians 4 6 through 7 he will guard your hearts in Christ Jesus if you will be obedient to the faith of God, the peace of God that is able to guard our thoughts in Christ Jesus, our thoughts that are renewed by the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit. 
because to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8, 6 through 8. When a person being inspired by his flesh, goes and evangelizes, preaches, does good work. This, these are the, car, the works of the carnal mind that will bring to death because all these things he does out of God's order. It needs to come first within from the order of God or within it. According to this statement, we conclude that people who have rejected the condition where the truth of the preached word and the power of the Holy Spirit renews their mind by the spirit of their mind, have no connection to the, to the peace of God and are not able to have it. And consequently, such people have no connection and cannot have a connection to the sons of peace either, that by the means of the peace of God would inherit eternal salvation in the kingdom of heaven. We need to apprehend well that it is only by the collaboration of our spirit with our renewed mind that is within Christ Jesus that we are called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and clothe our body into the resurrection of Christ here on earth before we will be raptured to meet the Lord in the air. Therefore, to look at the righteousness of faith, so we bring about the inheritance of the peace of God and the condition outlining the way our righteousness needs to garment itself into the armor of this peace so that our minds would be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. We have been studying the following question. By what signs are we able to determine examining ourselves that we are truly the sons of peace as well as the sons of God? because it is by the reign of the peace of God within our heart that we are able to examine ourselves as to whether we are truly the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew 5, 9. It's not possible to perform peace if we don't have the state of peace within our heart, and the state of peace needs to be based upon the covenant of peace that we need to make not in the moment of being baptized by water, Holy Spirit and fire but in the moment when we have already grown into full measure in Jesus Christ only priests made this covenant with God the sons of Levi made this kind of covenant with God God said I gave you this covenant of peace with them he made this covenant of peace and not with infants spiritual infants or those of the flesh if a person has not died for his nation for the house of his father and for his fleshly life then his justification which he received in salvation by faith in Jesus Christ in the format of his guarantee because it's given again in the format of a guarantee that you need to uh, turn to profit and so this justification will never convert into the quality and format of righteousness by which he would be able to receive the ability to be clothed into the promise of the peace of God so that he in righteousness would bear fruits of peace, which is why the prepared for these people crown of righteousness will be taken from them, giving them the right to the promise of peace where they can be called sons of God. The crown of righteousness, this is the kingdom of heaven inside of the body of a person, the stronghold of life is the crown of righteousness that will give us the ability to be raptured and meet the Lord 
in heaven. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Revelations 3.11 We need to remember that the promise of the peace of God receives its power and its legitimacy within our heart only by the righteousness of our faith in the covenant of peace, which places responsibility upon both sides of the covenant, because when there's a covenant, there's two sides that make this covenant, where each side or participant of the covenant is responsible to fulfill their role that is implemented by God and are in the covenant or the requirements of the covenant. And if either of the sides violates the conditions that are agreed upon in the covenant of peace between God and man, we note that such a violator can only be a man, then the other side being God is released or freed from the responsibility of fulfilling the conditions that are in this agreement of the covenant of peace. When God made this covenant of peace, he stated what he needs to do and he placed himself in dependence of his word and he's required to fulfill it and he fulfilled it God says I am vigilant over my word for it to be fulfilled he placed his word above all his names he became a servant of his word he placed himself and submitted himself voluntarily voluntarily to his word and so when the agreement is violated or broken it can't be from his side of course then he is freed from that responsibility to fulfill those things that he promised the fruit of righteousness identified as the peace of God within our heart is evidence of the fact that we are sons of peace. This serves as grounds or a basis for God so that he may fulfill his part contained in the covenant of peace, which consists of leading us into the inheritance of his son, so that we would share with him all the things that are written about him in the laws, prophets, and psalms. Because the justification that we receive by right of our birth from the seed of the word of truth has converted into the quality and format of righteousness, where we have obtained the ability to bear the fruits of peace within our relationship with God and with those around us the fruits of peace with those around us and first of all with God pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord Hebrews 12 14 <clears throat> the peace that we are called to perform or be or do is to be done within the boundaries of holiness without holiness we will not be able to see the Lord peace the peace will be uh, will not be in correspondence to the truth. We've noted that in this place of scripture we are take, talking about a form of unique and supernatural peace that is to be done by God only within the boundaries of holiness or be an expression and demonstration of holiness. These outlined and identified boundaries of holiness are the commandments of God containing the righteousness of God and they uh, and they identify who we need to speak with, who we don't need to speak with, who we need to love, who we need to hate. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, Romans 12:18. It is not possible to have peace again with all men. We need to check according to Scripture. Can I have peace with this person, or do we need to break that or avoid this person? Therefore, the peace that we dare by the inspiration of our mind to demonstrate out of the boundary of holiness and not as an expression of holiness will be incriminated to us as a serious form of lawlessness for which we will be required to pay a price of eternal life because our communication with people that the scriptures identify as 
with evil company, not us, but the scriptures, because we can say, this person is a good person, she's a wonderful friend, uh, I don't see anything wrong communicating with her, it's okay that she or he left the church, they also serve God. But the scriptures say that such people will corrupt our good habits and will transform us into their wicked image. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 1 Corinthians 15, 34. And so people that confess this tolerant love to love all men are people that are within sin that continue to do sin and do, do not know God therefore it is impossible and criminal to have peace with the unclean and the wicked who support the unclean who in their time accepted the truth but then left the church the teacher of their youth of their young age, left their church, and turned away from the holy commands that were given to them. The very fact of their rebellion and resistance against the words spoken by God's delegated people that are placed over them testify of the loss of peace within their heart and member them to the category of the wicked. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Isaiah 57:20-21. This very place of scriptures also written in another place of Isaiah and other scriptures, places of scripture as well. In a specific format, we've already looked at six signs by which we need to determine and examine ourselves as to whether we are the sons of peace as well as the sons of God and have been studying the seventh sign. This is our ability to be clothed into the essence or clothe our essence into the holy and selective love of God. God's love, again, is a holy love. If it's holy, that means it's selective. If it's tolerant, then it wouldn't be holy. But we perfectly understand that it can't be a love that loves everyone without any exception. As one Pentecostal pastor uh, told me, he is actually close by here. He said, that God is all-powerful, he's almighty, he's love. If he won't save Satan and all the sinners, then he is not all-powerful and not love. And I, uh, I asked him, why don't you preach these words to your church? And he says, well, we only preach this to the wise. If you can imagine, these unfortunate uh, pastors they will go to hell and those who follow him will also go to hell because a, only a blind person can follow such a pastor one who sees cannot follow who cannot believe that God will save Satan and all the sinners and then I asked him why then are we subject to such suffering against sin resisting sin and he says well sin you, you'll be saved anyway I was shocked and even though I'm saying this, people still follow such a person, these kinds of emissaries of Satan that call themselves anointed of God or people anointed by God. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians 3, 14, 15. 
We note that according to this place of Scripture, the reign of the peace of God within our heart is possible only upon one condition, and that is if the selective love of God will abide within our heart, and if we will be clothed into the selective love of God, we will be separating ourselves from all what is sin and the people who are carriers of lawlessness and impurity. By itself, the selective love of God is an uncomprehending for the human mind goodness of God or kindness that is inherent to God. Since in the selective love of God, which is the goodness of God, we see the concealed, good, wonderful, eternal, and uncomprehending for the human mind goals and works of God, called to build a unique and peaceful relationship between God and exclusively with His children. Comprehending the selective love of God is called to fill us with all of the fullness of the peace of God or make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Here's what Apostle Paul writes about this, Ephesians 3:16 through 19, confirming the words of Apostle Matthew, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through the, in his spirit in the inner man. So if a person is saved, he's a child of God, but he's not yet perfect, and he needs to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts, Christ is not yet there, so that Christ may dwell in their hearts. This person is born from the seed of the word of truth, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. And so, infants in Christ or people of the flesh, Christian, fleshly Christians, don't have Christ in their heart in the form of the Holy Spirit that they would allow into their heart as the Lord and Master of their life. Because these people preach that Christ knocks into the hearts of sinners. Jesus never knocks into the hearts of sinners. He has nothing to do there. He knocks into a heart that has prepared itself, cleansed itself from dead works, and is ready to receive him. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will enter and dine with him and he with me. It's talking about a perfect people. He's not knocking even into the hearts of inf uh, spiritu uh, infants, spiritual infants. He gives them what they need to grow first into full measure in Christ Jesus. He does not knock into the hearts of men of the flesh, but people that are spiritual because they've been grown into full measure in Christ Jesus. However, to come to more practical conclusions when it comes to the selective love of God, we decided to look at the character and quality contained in the selective love of God in the form of seven qualities of true virtue presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture, in the spoken words of the apostles and prophets. And these seven virtues are virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love, written in 2 Peter 1, 2 through 8. Each of the seven qualities of the fruits of virtue contains the characteristics of all of the rest of the qualities as they flow one from the other, complete or support one the other, strengthen one the other, and confirm the truthful nature of one the other.
They are not given to a person separately. A person can't have uh, have more self-control than godliness or more perseverance than love. He's going to have all of them in balance. Do you know the balance of the of the clouds, the great works of God? It's written in Scripture. Second, these qualities are called to be the moral perfection and example inherent to the essence of God. Third, the given qualities are the great and precious promises given to us <coughs> in Jesus Christ and by Jesus Christ. Fourth, the given qualities are the imperishable treasure and wealth with which we need to become rich. Fifth, in order to receive the inheritance of these qualities, it is necessary for us to receive the power of the Holy Spirit in our heart or accept the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life. Sixth, the means that we are to utilize for receiving the power of the Holy Spirit is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, called the not-existent as existent which will give God the basis to be able to lead us into this perfection. Seventh, by inheriting these great and precious promises, we become a part of God's divine nature. Therefore, the selective love of God demonstrated in the seven unchanging qualities and characteristics have nothing in common with and cannot have anything in common with na the nature of human love that is filled with egoism, greed, and is just temporary. A tolerant love, a human love, is blind. And as I sometimes say, they themselves identify their love, where they love each other with, they get married, they say, love is blind, you'll even love a goat. But a holy love of God is not blind, it sees, and it will love only that person that is in accordance to his nature. It is the selective love of God in the form of seven qualities of unearthly virtue that is called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our earthly bodies and clothe our earthly body into the resurrection of Christ that is into our new person. The quality of the selective love of God does not compare in any way with the tolerant love of man because the virtue of the selective love of God are eternally existing virtues, qualities, and characteristics <coughs> of our Heavenly Father and is all-consuming holiness and all that comes from God because God is love. A holy love that is separated from all that man calls love, the bond of perfection of the selective love of God, <coughs> when it comes to the seven qualities of virtue, is unconditional. God's love is unconditional <coughs> when it's within these seven qualities of virtue and to those that carry these qualities. Unlike the tolerant and egotistical love of man, the unconditional nature of the selective love of God in the seven qualities of virtue is different in that it contains the burning jealousy of God, all his knowledge and his absolute wisdom that in no way is able to be used for greedy, dirty and destructive and terrible egotistical goals of man. At the same time, the tolerant love of man toward other men is very conveniently used for greedy and egotistical purposes. Here's what the scriptures say regarding the strength of the love of God. 
the selective holy love of God that sees ahead of time. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave, its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Songs of Solomon 867. Here it states that this love within the heart of a man, it needs to be like this when it comes to God and whatever the devil may offer so that a person change that love. This person will reject that. It was, Jesus was offered everything, the whole world. He said, I will give you everything that you came for without suffering. You won't even need to die. You won't need to suffer. You won't need to break your relationship with your Heavenly Father. I will give you all the riches of the world and all the people because they belong to me. And Jesus knew that he was speaking the truth. It did belong to him at that time. His deception, however, was, Jesus said, it is written, you shall serve the Lord your God and serve him only. Because if he would have worshipped Satan, then he would not have received anything. Because he is the father of deception and lies, he would not have received it. Uh, Adam and Eve also thought they were going to receive something when they listened to the voice of the deceiver. And what did, when they listened, what did they receive? They received what we today call the old person that lives within our body, this reigning sin in the form of the old person that is supported by organized powers of darkness, that's what we've received. The measure of the love of God is identified by and, and is known by the measure of God's hatred toward evil and men who do the evil. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Hebrews 1.9 And also the Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. We need to hate only what God hates, and he hates the wicked and the one that loves violence. And an unclean person, again, is not a person of the world, is a person who was holy and then left their church. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire, and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright. Psalm 11:5 through 7. Only loving what God loves and hating what God hates, we can demonstrate God's reaction to good and evil. The selective love of God by its unchanging nature in the format of seven supernatural qualities is called to grow us into the fullness of the growth in Christ or lead us into the perfection that is like the perfection of our Heavenly Father. Considering that these seven qualities of virtue do not have an analog in the earthly realm of the human lexicon, we will not find, again, these definitions in, the, in any worldly dictionary. Uh, these qualities of brotherly kindness, 
this, love, there will be definitions. You will see them, but they won't be the ones as the scriptures offer. The love of God is the found foundation and atmosphere of the moral and immovable law, opening within our heart the essence of God and the, and the essence of the kingdom of heaven. And this is not all. The love of God agape is a sovereign love, which is unconditional. When it comes to the people, it chooses in its abilities to foreknow and predestine. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8.29 it is unconditional not for all men, but only those whom he foreknew and he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Because of its sovereignty, the selective love of God never violates the sovereign rights of those people she selects. And that's why he knocks into uh, upon the heart. He doesn't open the door. He can do that, but then he will violate your sovereign right. He does not violate that because God's love does not violate sovereign rights. I offer to you life and death, blessing and curse, good and evil, choose life, so that you and your family may live. And the sovereign love of God never allows her own sovereign rights within her boundaries to be violated. These boundaries identified as his burning holiness. In a specific format, we've already looked at the demonstration of the selective love of God in the qualities of virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, and stopped to study the virtue of the love of God in the mystery of great godliness. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. 1 Timothy 3.16 Therefore, by demonstrating the signs of the fruits of godliness, we identify the true quality of the love of God agape within the heart of a man, in his words, his actions, and the manner in which he dresses which isn't supposed to prompt instincts of the opposite sex. If a person dresses in a manner that prompts the instincts of the opposite sex and state that they're righteous, they're deceiving themselves. They, the righteous will never uh, do these kinds of things, will not attempt to prompt the instincts of the opposite. They will never overly uh, tighten uh, their or wear clothes that tightens up areas that are intimate or supposed to be. In At the beach, it's one thing, but when you're going to church, look at what's happening today in the churches. Do you think that God can somehow reveal himself there? The spirit of deception works there. They feel them. They they shout, they scream, they, they can squawk, they can jump, they can bear something somewhere, but there will not be silence there and reverence and fear before the word of God. Everything that they will want is materialistic blessings and in order to confirm that we are saved they will have their own personal good works that they do and their own personal evangelism and so forth 
In Scripture, the meaning contained in the virtue godliness describes the legitimate relationship of the saints and God bound together in a mutual union or covenant. Furthermore, the essence of the selective love of God in godliness is determined and demonstrated in mutual obligation of God and man, outlined and made perpetual by God in a mutual covenant of peace with God. Further, we note that there is a fundamental difference between the goodness of God in his favor toward man or toward us and the godliness of a man which he is called to demonstrate in his love to God. For example, the godliness of a man when it comes to God is his favor to God, a man's grace to God and his thanksgiving. The word grace, one of the definitions is thanksgiving and when it's grace for grace, it says, where it says grace for grace, God gives his thanksgiving because man is thankful or shows his thanksgiving. You need to, uh, so again, to explain this in more spe specification, more detail, it's grace for grace, thanksgiving for thanksgiving. Turn to me and I will turn to you. And so the godliness of a man when it comes to God means also to visit the fatherless and the widow in their hardship and keep themselves undefiled by the world, imitate Christ and meditate about the things of the hills and seek God in his good and acceptable and perfect will. The godliness of a man towards man, to, uh, godliness of God towards man is his goodness that is the same goodness that is directed towards him, his favor and his grace toward man that has the same favor and grace toward God. It's his mercifulness towards man, again also that it has with that has the same kind of it's the same mercifulness that is towards him as well from this man, his thanksgiving, his good work and good acts. <coughs> that are given in his redemption toward man that has favor toward God his kindness in the absolute sense of the word the goodness of God in his favor toward man is an uncomprehending and inaccessible for the mind of man kindness of God identified by his good and acceptable and perfect will which was formed in the entrails of the heavenly father and then elevated by him as a law of grace in the form of his commandment, which God has magnified above all his names and placed himself in dependence, voluntary dependence of his word contained in this commandment. The Old as well as the New Testament identified the virtue of the love of God in the discipline of godliness as one of the greatest mysteries of God himself, which defends and makes the sincere love of God impossible for counterfeit and falsification. Aside from these characteristics, called to identify the character of godliness, there is also a counterfeit form of godliness that exists as well that will conflict with and resist the true form of godliness. Having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. Avoid communication with them, do not have fellowship with such. This already talks about the fact that God's love is selective, not tolerant. You may say, we need to have fellowship with everybody. They are also the children of God, but it is you who are judging this. And based upon which are you judging in this way? A person does not accept God's authority over himself. 
I asked, do you go to this church? I, one person that I know, I asked him, a Pentecostal church, he goes to his church, do you accept the authority of your pastor? He smiles and says, I'm not marching under their drums. And I asked him, why are you there? And, and how are you trusting you'll be saved if you're not marching under their drums then why are you following them why are you sitting there they see their pastor as someone that they can control and inspect and sit and just inspect what he's saying if it's good or, or right or wrong at first you need to determine whether this person is from God or not if he is you don't need to inspect him you 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 need to say Lord help me understand what you will say through this person today because what this person will say you still want to understand everything but what God allows you to understand everything you don't understand you need to place upon your golden table of showbreads Moses said uh, when he spoke to the nation that open is what I state say to you it's for us for you and your children but what is concealed is for the Lord God and so when people don't accept what they don't understand from the person of God then they don't have a tabernacle they don't have uh, the table golden table with the showbreads when there the breads are laying the things we don't understand but we're not against the time will come when God will allow us to understand it upon the condition of course that we've placed it into our heart as the disciples of the Lord did as Mary the mother of Jesus did she did not understand what her son was saying but she put this all into her heart although she didn't understand it if we don't break our relationship with people that have the look of godliness and will not distance ourselves from them then they will corrupt our godliness that is contained in our good habits which is why we together with them will inherit the prepared for them destruction relevant to this we need to answer four classical questions first what are the characteristics of both God and man in Scripture? Second, what purpose does godliness have within the relationship of God with man and man with God? What conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our godliness with the godliness of God? And fourth, by what signs do we need to determine that our godliness is truly collaborating with the godliness of God and not a false, falsified version or counterfeit version? In a specific format, as much as the Lord has allowed in the measure of our faith, we have been looking at, the, we've looked at the first two questions and have been studying the third question. What conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our own godliness with the goodness of God or attract the favor of God upon ourselves? One of the conditions that are called to attract the Lord's favor in his selective love upon us is the necessity to fear God and to revere before his face. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him. The favor of God will be upon those who revere before his face. Ecclesiastes 8.12 In this place of scripture, this parable is talking about the confrontation of two different categories of people who have received salvation sown upon one field and maturing upon one field. The word, the days are prolonged, means maturing. The number 100 is one of the definitions of fullness that a person is getting to in his maturing, either the fullness of wickedness or the fullness of righteousness. And so when the measure is full, 
Then I will lead you out of Egypt and you will destroy your enemies. When they mature, then you will be able to identify them, the state of their heart when it comes to God, as well as the fruits of their lips, confessing the state of their heart. It is then that the reward harvest will come for the one as well as for the other. But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth? These people take places of scripture. They don't know the meaning of those places. They preach them in the, in the format of slogans. But seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you, you, these things you have done and I kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. Now consider this, you who forget God, lest I tear you to pieces and there be none to deliver. Psalm 50, 16 through 22. Understandably, hating instruction of the preached word, such a confession of the sta uh, statutes of the Lord where there is an absence of the faith of the heart, speaks of the absence of the fear of the Lord and absence of reverence. Looking at our subject of study, we conclude that the ability to attract the goodness of God upon yourself in His favor is the necessity to revere before the face of God that at this time is the authority of the word, the words of God's delegated ones. Reverence as a result of the fear of the Lord is the virtue and atmosphere identifying the state of the heart of a warrior in prayer, which is called to be present in all that man does diligently and from the soul as for the Lord. Therefore, reverence before the face of God that is for the preached word spoken by God's people can only be within the heart of those who fear God, a heart cleansed from dead works by the truth contained in the teaching of the blood and cross of Christ. I will remind us that in Hebrew the word reverence is a demonstration of your love to God, being filled with the fear of the Lord and the ability to perform righteousness, a form of horror and trembling from the anointed word, being cautious and careful in your words and actions, honor and respect towards God's delegated, possession and riches that are imperishable, a reflection of glory, greatness and beauty of God. This is reverence. A, ref a reflection of glory, greatness, and beauty of God, an expression of respect, honor, and praise to God. Symbolically also an island as a symbol of sanctification, because when you look in the original, uh, one of the definitions of reverence is, is island or islands, and we know an island that is surrounded by water, that means it's separated from, the, from other land. If when Elijah, remember when he brought his offering, he dug a trench and they filled the trench with water. So in this way, he separated himself from the people that were around him. He became his own island. And oftentimes you'll see in scripture words that uh, God speaks to the islands. God speaks to people that are in the wilderness, those that have sanctified themselves. It's also a mantle of sheepskin. Reverence is a mantle of sheepskin. 
a covering over you of sheepskin, garments of a sheepskin, and an identification of weight that identifies the authority of God in man. To revere when it comes to you or you revering or to revere is to hallow God, demonstrate faithfulness to, uh, to God and his word forever and ever, demonstrate love to God and his word, to be broken or crushed for God, to tremble and be humbled by hearing the word of God, be filled with horror before God's word, to be smitten with horror to receive, to obtain, to bring about horror upon others, to crush, to break, to strike with horror or fear, those things that are not in accordance to the demands of holiness, and to make disoriented the enemies of God. Those who, who revere are those that fear God, that tremble before God, that are made afraid by God, love God, worship God, demonstrate faithfulness to God, experience fear because of the presence of God, and bring about fear, receiving healing in the rays of the rising sun of righteousness, to revere in grace. And so, in reverence, people will not be jumping up and down and shouting and squawking or whatever else they do. They will be in silence, waiting to see what the Lord will say. To revere in grace, those who fear the Lord are those who love to revere in grace, is to be filled with kindness, be filled with upright joy, receive blessing and, a, and good from the Lord, have goodwill and well-being in God, and, be, and fill your house with riches, riches that are, of course, imperishable. And so reverence before the face of God is an unchanging component identifying with the nature of continual prayer, which being of an unearthly beginning or genesis, although is done within the aspect of time, yet is a governor over time and does not depend on time. According to scripture, the level of reverence before the face of God is, is directly related to our, the quality of our faith and our fear before the Lord. In the word, uh, the dictionary, Webster, uh, Webster Dictionary, reverence is something that is a uncomfortable or mixed feeling and a holy uh, trembling and fear. And so therefore, reverence is used in Scripture exclusively when it comes to God and His children. There's also an opposite form of fear before the wisdom and greatness of God, but does not bring forth reverence. It's fear, but does not bring forth reverence. This is a demonic trembling and demonic faith. You believe that there is one God, you do well, even the demons believe and tremble, James 2.19. For example, in Hebrew, the word reverence has two, six different words, and in Greek, three. In the Old Testament, this word is found in different forms about 400 times and is often as fear and, and humility or as the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. The quality of reverence when you listen to the word of God before the face of God uh, indicates the presence of the wisdom of God in his heart that gives him the knowledge about how he needs to listen to the word of God 
considering that this heart, of course, has the quality of 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 of, of a student and and listening and obeying. True reverence before the face of God that is demonstrated in fear is knowing who God is for us in Jesus Christ and what God has done for us in Jesus Christ and further what we need to do so that we can inherit all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. The true reverence before the face of God demonstrating itself in true rever- uh, true fear is the readiness and voluntary obedience to God where our informational organ is standing as head over our emotional organ directing and controlling it. True reverence before the face of God demonstrates itself in true Uh, fear before the preached word is a specific state of the heart and soul that identifies all of our thoughts, motives, words, and actions. As children of God, we need to, (coughs) with respect, uh, treat his his truth, his word, his absolute, and understand that he has absolute control, has absolute ability to implement his will and the words he's trusted us with and so the evil that the sinner does and that he matures in they preach the statutes of God and take God's words in their mouth but hate instruction that comes from the delegated authority of God Psalm 50 16 17 But to the wicked God says, What right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth, seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you? Therefore, in order to turn God's favor upon yourself, it is necessary to thirst and love the instructions of the preached word spoken by God's delegated one. And it is important to walk prudently when we go to the house of God and draw near rather to hear than to give a sacrifice. Ecclesiastes 5.1 Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools for they do not know that they do evil. Ecclesiastes 5.1 Amen. Let us now bend our knees and we will pray and may the Lord bless us in this prayer and give us the ability today in this prayer to break the shackles of dependence of sin, fear, illnesses. There's different shackles, but they all will be broken when you will accept by faith liberty from sin, freedom from sin, destruction, illness, death, all these things. We wait for you upon this place and our knees and pray. I'm going to be praying together with you and I ask you to deeply believe that God is for you he's not against you and not looking at the fact that he can instruct you and correct you with this he shows his love and he's ready right now to break those connections you have with sin to pour out his mercy upon you to deliver you from shame and sin, to heal you from your illnesses, from your fear of death. Close your eyes 
This is your secret room. Lift your hands to God. This is a sign that you're ready to receive from the Lord what He wants to give you because He says that He loves when you stretch out your hands without question, without doubt. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with a broken heart, with dependence from sin, dependence on fear, and my sicknesses, my suffering, I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, by the blood of your Son, I believe in your word, I open up my heart for your all-powerful word, your healing word, and the one that delivers from sin. I accept it in the name of Jesus Christ. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. Your sins are forgiven, and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May He look upon you with His great face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May all these blessings come upon you and your children and be fulfilled upon you, and the nation shall say, Amen. This is a wonderful position that the Lord puts us into every time. And when we leave here, we need to believe that we are leaving with an absolutely clean book. That means there's no sins there that you've done before, that when you confess them, that God, by His faithful and unchanging word, cast them into hell, blotted them out of his memory, and suddenly when your mind begins to remember yesterday's sin and the sin you did right before you entered the service, you confessed it, you hate it, you refused it, and you've made the decision and accepted justification, it's no longer there. It's Satan that tries to remind you. He tries to remind God and remind you and God then looks at you to see what you'll do and when you open up your book and you say I am justified God with your words will tell the devil that he is justified in my book this doesn't exist tell the thoughts that come to you get out from me in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, now let's proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.